Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. Today we're going to hear the tragic story of Nikki Gozer, who saw her husband gunned down by a stalker in a gun-free zone. And we're going to talk to her about why it is that women, in particular, should be free to defend themselves with a gun. Check it out. Nikki, welcome. Thank you for having me. So you are on a book tour right now, and and you just got um, out of uh, Fox News Studio. Who have you been talking to? Um, Ansley Earhart interviewed me on Fox and Friends, and I was also on Judge Andrew Napolitano's show, and I also um, did some filming with Tucker Tucker Carlson, and um, I'm excited about that. It hasn't aired yet because of all the impeachment news, so it keeps getting bumped back, but that's okay. We're all impeachment all the time. So I, I met you through our mutual friend, Congressman Thomas Massey. Yes, love him. He and, is fantastic. Uh, I, I, if Thomas vouches for you, he's he's usually at least sixty percent right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm guessing you're a good person. I'm pretty decent person. Pretty decent person. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about about your story, and you have a new book called "Stalked and Defenseless: How Gun Control Helped My Stalker Murder My Husband in Front of Me." And this this obviously is a very personal story for you, but the reason that that I'm so moved by it is I think um, I think we libertarians struggle sometimes to explain why it is that the Second Amendment is so important to us, and a lot of these sort of intellectual and philosophical arguments fall on deaf ears because most people think about guns and gun control in a strictly emotional way. They have an emotional reaction, one way or the other. And and maybe the, the the caricatures of of the the far left that imagines a world where guns disappear like unicorns, and the uber conservative world where everyone's packing, um, somewhere in the middle is 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 the right approach to things. Mm-hmm. But if you would tell tell us tell us your story, tell us what happened to your husband. Uh, my husband Ben was murdered right in front of me by a man who was stalking me. And this happened in a restaurant that was a gun-free zone. Um, In Tennessee at the time, you were not allowed to bring a permitted gun. In other words, you've got your handgun carry permit. Doesn't matter. You can't bring a legal permitted gun into any restaurant if they also serve alcohol. So the restaurant that we were in served full meals, but they also served alcohol. So I obeyed that law, and I left my permitted firearm that I normally carried for self-defense locked in my vehicle that night. Of course, the man who was stalking me did not have a permit to carry. He brought in a gun illegally into the middle of a a gun-free zone, and he proceeded to shoot my husband seven times in front of myself and everyone in the middle of a busy restaurant. And I will probably wonder for the rest of my life if I could have prevented that. Of course, I'll never know because I was denied a chance. I was stalked and defenseless. Yeah. The uh, and and there was a, a marine in the room that that eventually tackled the guy and prevented him from killing anybody else. Yeah, I I tell you the police when they searched the murderer's truck at the crime scene that night, they found two more guns, ammunition, a baseball bat, binoculars, gloves, rope, and a knife. Now, that's no medical kit. 
that right. was in his truck. Right. You know, it is absolutely terrifying to think of what his ultimate plan may have been. And if I had not gone to get management to have him removed, I had asked management to remove him. You know, I don't know if that foiled his ultimate plan. I, I guess I'll never really know. Yeah. Let's take a step back because you and your husband ran a karaoke business. Yes. And, and which, of course, exposed you to all sorts of characters and bars. And, and that's how this guy ended up stalking you. But talk a little bit about the business and the, sure. and the thing that led up to that moment. So um, this occurred in Nashville, Tennessee. So mm-hmm. I would run karaoke shows in downtown Nashville. Different venues had their own equipment. And sometimes the girls that would run karaoke shows would call and say, you know, I feel kind of sick. I don't really want to work. Or they just, they didn't feel like working. So I would go in and fill in for them. So I would work different shifts. And it turns out I would work a lot of shifts in downtown running shows at night. And my husband, Ben, would always come with me. And at the end of my shift, we would ride home together. This man showed up on the karaoke scene and... You know, at first we thought he was just a tourist because there's tons of tourists that come through there. Yeah. But then he started coming in more often, and we figured he must live here. And Ben took it upon himself to introduce him around the room to some of the regulars to try and make him feel welcome. Yeah. And he had sent me a um, social media request. Actually, one night he had given me a $100 bill. Um, when you're running karaoke shows, the way that you make money is through tips. Mm -hmm. So at various points throughout the night, I would walk around with my tip jar and, you know, people would give you $5 here, a dollar there, maybe a $20 bill. If they were really impatient and they wanted to sing next, you know, you could move their name up the song list. But this man gave me a hundred dollar bill. And at first I thought he had made a horrible mistake. You know, maybe he thought he had grabbed a 10. And he accidentally grabbed 100 so I remember taking it back to him, and I showed it to him. And he just looked at it and looked at me with this look of accomplishment. And I knew it wasn't a mistake, so this sounds silly now, but at the time I thought, obviously he wants to sing a lot tonight, so I, I did just that. I got him up to sing a lot that night. Mm-hmm. And the next day he had sent me a, a friend request. And I added him, just like I add the rest of my karaoke customers. It was the way that we retained our customer base. Yeah. And um, he started sending me messages at first. They were normal. But then they started to progress in a different light. And he started to say things like, you're attractive, blah, blah, blah. Of course, when you work in venues like this, especially in tourism, you get that. Women get that all the time, and we're just gracious, say thank you, go about our job. Well, then it started to progress even more, and he started saying some inappropriate things um, about my husband, and I ended up having to delete him and block him. Mm -hmm. And then my husband had to ask him to leave me alone, and um, then he shows up like we hadn't seen him for a, a solid month. And he shows up at this restaurant where we've never seen him before. It's a good 30, 35-minute drive away from downtown Nashville where he normally went for karaoke. And I just remember thinking, he's stalking me. That's, that's when I realized this man is stalking me. He's not a dedicated karaoke customer. He doesn't have just a simple crush. There is no reason for him to be here. Yeah. So that history is why your husband pointed him out and, and tried to have him removed that night. 
I had, I tried to have him removed. Ben was just, Ben was just a happy-go-lucky, fun-loving guy. And I don't think Ben really sensed anything. Yeah. I don't think Ben really sensed that much. I mean, he knew that the guy was being inappropriate, but I think to Ben, he just thought, I'm just going to tell him to leave her alone and he'll leave her alone. And when I saw him that night, I realized something is terribly wrong here. And I said, Ben, I'm going to ask that he be removed. And Ben looked up and he saw him and he said, okay, babe, do whatever you need to do. Were you, um, you, you were licensed to conceal carry at that point. Um, and, and Ben as well, you were both trained gun owners. Um, no, Ben was not. Okay. I was, um, Ben was. What was your decision to, to do that? You know. Was it related to your work or was it something you were raised doing? No, you know, my, I was raised around, um, um, 18th century muskets my dad was super into living history and reenacting um the french and indian war and so my father would work on on these muskets like in his garage and i would watch him shoot them and he would you know make his own lead balls you know the ammo and um i found it fascinating but my father never taught me about firearms you know he taught my brother I'm the one, my little sister and I had Barbie dolls, you know, <laughs> and I, I never really learned about guns until I was in probably my mid-20s. Um, I met a United States Marine sniper, and he became a friend and took me out and started to kind of train me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't actually decide to get my handgun carry permit until... Um, a horrible crime occurred in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, Shannon Christian and Christopher Newsom um, were both brutally tortured, raped, murdered. Uh, I don't want to go into the details of, of everything, but it was awful. And that one crime made me realize that it could happen to anyone at any time in an area where you or I would feel safe. Evil can can come and find you anywhere yeah and these these two people you know these two individuals had their whole lives ahead of them they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time and evil found them and that's what really made me decide maybe I need to get my handgun carry permit maybe I need to carry something more than just pepper spray that's like that that moment and and, and my wife and I had had a same sort of uh, revelation, if you will. I, I decided I've always been sort of philosophically uh, pro-Second Amendment, but it there was a, a recent event, not so recent anymore, but there was the, the, the mass shooting in Paris at the, at the Bataclan Theater, and, mm-hmm. and we go to a lot of concerts. And, and I, it just it struck a personal note with me because, you know, there's a scenario where I might have been at, at such an event, and... And I decided at that moment that our decision not to own guns, we're in the District of Columbia, it's a little bit more difficult, a lot more difficult here to, to get um, a permit. Um, but we decided that it was, it was personally irresponsible, almost like free riding 
on on law enforcement and other people that had taken that responsibility. So it's it's not just a choice for me, and it sounds like for you, it's like I, I need to step up and be responsible. Is that yes. is that a fair way to say it? Absolutely. I, you know, I don't want people to be paranoid, but I do want people to be prepared. Yeah. Um, because never in my life did I ever truly really think that something this horrific could happen to Ben and I. You know, this is something that happens on the news. This is this is something that happens to other people. Well, now I am one of those people sitting in front of you today telling this awful story. And it can happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people every single day. And um, I just... I just I just want people to be prepared. Yeah. And, you know, people uh, people maybe naively um, hope and count on law enforcement to be there whenever something bad happens. Right. But there's a phrase that you use, which I'll butcher, but, you know, the, 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 the police are minutes away, mm-hmm. but the shooter is there now. Right. Yeah, and it's not law enforcement's fault. I mean, I... I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement. I think they have a very difficult job. But even law enforcement knows that they can't be anywhere and everywhere at any time. Yeah. And most rank-and-file police officers will tell you that they support the Second Amendment and they support everyday law-abiding citizens having a gun to protect themselves and their loved ones because they know that they can't be there all the time. Yeah. And I don't know... You know, if you want to talk about this, I know you know all about it because you're libertarian, but um, the police have no real constitutional duty to protect the individual. Never once has an individual won one of these cases that's gone before the Supreme Court. You know, I think people think that law enforcement will always be there to protect them. And I'm sure that law enforcement, they're good people and they want to protect people. But if for some reason they can't, there's... There's no recourse. I mean, well, there there was that horrific example um, that the school shooting in Florida, where um, law enforcement didn't go in, and clearly, and you know, a complete dereliction of of their responsibility. I don't I don't even know what their legal responsibility was, but um, everybody in civil society would assume that it was their job to go in and and protect those kids. And they didn't do it. Um, and you're saying that there's no constitutional responsibility for them to do it. According to the Supreme Court, there's not. Yeah. Which is why, and you probably didn't know that at the time, but you you made a personal decision to take responsibility. Um, you were trained and licensed to to carry. And yet because of presumably some well-meaning law, gun-free zones. Right. And particularly, like, you know, guns and alcohol uh, don't mix. And some well-meaning legislature and maybe some well-meaning um, uh, anti- or pro-gun control advocate came up with this idea that, that we should make bars gun-free zones. Is that what the law was? The law was any restaurant. If, any if restaurant. They, if they serve alcohol, yeah. then it's a gun-free zone. Yeah. And that, that created this horrific outcome. Yes. I can't tell you 100%, you know, that I would have been able to save Ben. I, obviously, I can't tell you that. Yeah. But what I can tell you is I think it would have changed the odds 
you know, Susanna Hupp talks about this. She she wrote the foreword for my book. She survived the Luby's Cafeteria Massacre in Colleen, Texas. Both of her parents were murdered in front of her, and she had to leave her gun locked in the car. And um, she and I have become friends, but she says the same thing. You know, she, she can't tell you for certainty that she would have been able to, to stop um, the killer, but it sure would have changed the odds. I feel the same way that she does. Yeah. And, well, let's fast forward because we'll, we'll probably get into some of the research that, that your organization is doing right now. So you, so this happens to you, and and I, I, I can't imagine going through that, but, but one of the ways that you um, made sense of it was to become an advocate for self-defense, mm-hmm. an advocate um, for the right of, of everyone to defend themselves, and, and particularly women. Absolutely. Um, you, you, at some point, you put aside your Barbie dolls and, and got a gun. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I started to do my own research online just because I was curious what some of these women's, you know, advocacy groups and feminist groups and um, stalking resource groups were, were advising women. You know, if, if a woman's being stalked, what are, what are they telling women? And so much of the advice out there is you might want to consider changing your name. You might want to consider moving, get a new career, um, get a restraining order, tell your friends and family about the stalker and what they're doing. Keep, you know, tight notes on everything. Basically, all of the advice, and it may be needed, but all of the advice is centered around the woman having to change her entire life or living like a hermit because of some creep who can't take no for an answer. And I believe that there's an additional information that's missing there that's also an option. And that is to learn the basic human right of self-defense, you know, learn about the Second Amendment. You have the right to protect yourself and your loved ones. Get the proper training, you know, consider buying a gun to protect yourself legally why is that an option that's seen as so taboo? This should be openly discussed with women, and then I believe women can make the decision for themselves what works best for them and their safety and the safety of their loved ones. But why, why leave this out? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's a, it's a religion, right? There, and it's an emotional religion. There, there just shouldn't be any guns. Like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't allow that. What do you say to that? Because our... Our position is sort of rational and logical and, and, you know, going back to, you know, whether or not you could have defended Ben and yourself in that particular situation. If you read some of these creepy manifestos of of mass shooters, they almost always point out that that, um, they targeted a gun-free zone because they knew that they would be safe to do their, their evil deeds there. So the question of whether or not somebody is carrying is a, is a disincentive for bad people to do bad things. Right. But that, of course, is a, a logical argument, I think, I think demonstrated by, by empirical facts. But, but the emotion is, but there just shouldn't be any guns. Well, the majority of these mass public shootings that we see in the media, the one thing the media fails to tell the public is, the majority of these mass public shootings occur in gun-free zones where everyone there is absolutely helpless. They're defenseless. I mean, these guys are trying to get a high body bag count, right? Right. 
They're trying to do as much damage as possible. I believe they're trying to get attention. They want notoriety. They want to, a lot of them want to die at the scene and, you know, they don't care about consequences. What they care about is killing as many people and doing as much damage as possible. And if you create zones where everyone there is helpless, the bad guy can walk right in with any kind of tool to kill, um, you're really encouraging these types of attacks. I think gun-free zones encourage these types of attacks. Yeah. It's, it's almost an advertisement. Yes. So they did go back, and, and, and was it because of you, Tennessee, repealed that dumb law? And what's, what's the status of, of, of the law in, in Tennessee today? Well, I can't take credit for it. I can just say that I, I certainly tried to help. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the law has changed in Tennessee now. Now, as long as you've got your handgun carry permit and as long as you are not drinking any alcohol, you can now carry in establishments, in restaurants that serve alcohol. Um, now, they're still allowed to post a sign. Obviously, private property rights, right. they can post a sign saying no gun, guns allowed, and you're supposed to honor that. But at least it's no longer state law. So um, w- doing your research uh, with, with feminist groups, you've, you found this, this, this gap, uh, basically um, teaching people how to defend themselves. Um, did, did you ever like go to the feminist community? Have you spoken to these groups? No. Um, will they have you? It's just a waste. Of my, I figure it's just a waste of my time. Yeah. It's just a waste of my time. They don't want to hear from somebody like me. No way. But I just find it ironic that they talk about empowering women. We need to empower women. Well, I think we need to empower women too. Yeah. But you know what? My empowerment's a little bit different than yours. Yeah. I think that women have the right to defend themselves how they see fit. And, you know, I believe that gun rights are women's rights. So your your life changed on that day radically, and it'll never be the same, but one of the ways that you decided to to redefine yourself is you you packed up everything no job no money came to dc looking to be an advocate tell why'd you make that decision you know this is the belly of the beast (laughs) we don't we don't always do the right thing here yeah i don't want to shock you with that um well i guess it was the opportunity to work with um, Congressman Thomas Massey was just amazing. You know, I just... How did you guys meet? I really... Um, I went and interviewed with him. I just came to D.C. and interviewed with him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I guess I guess he liked me. He hired me. But um, he's just an amazing person. He is solid on the Second Amendment. Um, he is about as pro-gun as anyone can ever get. That was, he says that that was his gateway to uh, libertarian philosophy, and he, he makes fun of me for all the libertarian books that I've read, and he's like, I just wanted to own a gun. That's, <laughs> that's, that's his argument, I think. But you became the, he hired you to be the executive director of the Second Amendment Caucus. Yes. Which he founded in the House. Um, he's probably not always popular with some of his colleagues when he talks about that stuff. Yeah, he's... Um, He's he's great. He's a great boss. Um, I was with him for a little, almost, it was about a year. It was about a solid year. And um, I would have stayed. I, I, 
but I don't like DC. Yeah. <laughs> the rent is too darn high. <laughs> the traffic is horrible. I missed my family, so I moved back to Tennessee. I loved working for him, though. He was he was an incredible boss. I thought you were going to tell me that our mutual friend John Lott, who's right off stage here, um, poached you from from Massey and convinced you to come over and work for the. Um, crime Prevention Research Center, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, actually, I just missed my family. Yeah. My mother was having some serious health problems, and I was. I just said, you know, Thomas, I love working for you, but I got to go back home. Yeah. So. So what are you doing now? Um, now I'm the executive director of the Crime Prevention Research Center. I make the trains run on time. Yeah. I do a little bit of everything. Bottle washer. Can you but, can you um, make John Lott run on time? I'm not totally most convinced. most of the time. He's pretty good most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's one of those intellectual types, and they can be a handful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a walking computer. Yeah. Yeah. But so so tell me, uh, um, you probably know some of the data. We we you know we just made this claim that that mm-hmm. most uh, most of these horrific crimes that we read about in the news are are caused in gun-free zones. Tell me, tell right. me about some of the research. I believe about... the stats right now, the last time we checked, was like 94%. Uh, 94% of these mass public shootings occur in gun-free zones. Yeah. So there's one thing I'd like to touch on, and that is, you know, with, according to the CDC, one in six women in their lifetime have been stalked. With those kind of numbers, I don't think these women should be left defenseless. I mean, where do you think... A deranged stalker is going to go to either harm or kill a woman or her loved ones, quite frankly. They're going to go where they know that she's helpless. So let's take, for instance, a woman that is working for a business where they completely ban firearms from the premises altogether. So she can't have a permitted firearm, you know, with her inside the business. So she's vulnerable there at work. But she also can't have a legal firearm locked in her vehicle either. So now she's vulnerable at work and anywhere she travels to and from grocery store, bank, where gas station, where, wherever, even when she pulls up into her own driveway. It's pretty scary that women can't protect themselves wherever they are. I think it makes them... Very vulnerable. And I people assume bad guys are stupid. They're not stupid. They can be very brilliant in their evil plans. Yeah, yeah. So other than Fox News, where is there a receptive? Because it, to me, that's common sense. And But but I'm sort of inclined to get the logic of, of self-defense. Um, but a lot of women would have an emotional reaction against that argument. Is that fair? Sure. So what do you say to them? I say you need to go to crimeresearch.org <laughs> and look at all of our data. Yeah. Well, then, I, then make a decision. So, so I, I disagree, which is why you're on this show, because I think, I think your personal story and other people's personal stories and making that sort of emotional appeal to um, your right to be safe, your right to defend yourself, I mean, that... That, to me, is hopefully more persuasive than data. Cause I, and I'm an economist, so I'm, I'm totally guilty of being a data dork and, and, 
and trying to convince people about the, the laws of supply and demand. Mm -hmm. um, but I realized that uh, recently this was a revelation in a, a midlife crisis where I realized that, that I was the weirdo and that, that the way that I process information is not the way that human beings process information. So just telling these stories, and particularly, um, you know, it could it could be terrorism, it could be stalkers, it could be um, some angry, confused kid that that doesn't fully understand what they're about to do to themselves and others. Whatever it is, um, the top-down law enforcement absolutely cannot deal with a decentralized threat. And, and we see this more in the context of, of terrorism. The reason that, that terrorism is, is such a vexing problem to deal with is that we have all these top-down centralized institutions that are supposed to deal with it, and they're very decentralized. Um, so to me, that's almost like a, a freedom-based argument for decentralizing personal defense. Because you can't, if, if, if you're waiting for the cops, you're already dead. Yeah, I can tell you that I've been told um, that within th the police arrived within three minutes of the 911 call that night, um, which is incredibly fast. Yeah. That is really, really fast. The, the police just happened to be literally right down the street at an apartment complex. And three minute response time almost never happens. But I can tell you that when it's happening to yourself or your loved one, it seems like an eternity. Where's law for law enforcement on gun rights? I haven't seen polling on this. I, I mean, I, I've I've heard that that they uh, are are quite supportive, but I've also heard the opposite. Do you? Do you there know? was a survey done by Police One, and um, we have that data on our website on CrimeResearch.org. Um, you have to look at you know police chiefs. They did this survey, and the majority of them support gun rights. I mean, you can see it clearly um, in the questions that are asked. And do you think that it helps reduce crime? And law enforcement supports um, concealed carry of firearms for personal defense by law-abiding people. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the logic of that because they, they probably know firsthand that they can't sure. be there. Sure, and they see really horrible things happen to really good people. Yeah. And they don't want to see these horrible things happen to really good people. So how is, uh, uh, tell me about the book. Um, it, 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 this just came out and, uh, you know, what's your, what's your plan? Obviously you're doing this because you want people that are skeptics to, to, to at least consider this, this view that about self-defense. Absolutely. I just want to educate people about the dangers of gun-free zones and, um, you know, what good is owning a gun if you're not allowed to have it with you? There are so many gun-free zones out there. I just, I think people should be able to protect themselves. And quite frankly, when the bad guy is the only one with a gun, guess who wins? And that's what happens. And quite frankly, men don't even, I mean, look, I, I love men. There's lots of good men in the world. L lots of really, really wonderful men. And there are protectors. Um, but there are some men in the world that are not good men. They're evil. And I really want to see more of the good men out there encouraging the, 
the females in their life that they love and care about, their moms, their sisters, their daughters, their wives, to consider protecting themselves because a gun is a great equalizer. Um, you know, a man doesn't even have to have a gun to seriously harm or kill a female. I mean, it's just a fact. Women in general are physically not as strong as, as men. And a gun is an equalizer that puts her on equal footing with, you know, a man that, that wants to harm her. And the point is, you're not a police officer. Your, your job is not to apprehend the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Your job as a woman is to keep that bad guy the hell away from you. And a gun is a wonderful way to do that. So you, you obviously haven't met my wife because she, she could snap my neck like a twig and, and, and has threatened to do so on, on multiple occasions. Um, but let's, so let's talk about this in the context of I set up this, this kind of, I mean, it's kind of a straw man, but it's also exactly where we are in Washington, D.C. today. Um, there is almost every Democrat, not all of them, but almost every Democrat and certainly on the, the far progressive side there's this wish that there were no guns Mm -hmm. and they keep putting more restrictions and they keep proposing um, limits on where you can take guns and and they're like uh, that gun you can't have because that's an assault weapon which is not a technical definition it's a scary word Um, but the but the other side um, and I'll, I'll caricature them the 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 Republican conservative true blue thing is that it almost sounds sometimes like they want everyone packing mm-hmm. and they want every teacher in every under uh, in, in every high school to to have a gun. Um, I don't think that's the answer either. Well, where yeah. do you come down on that? I think that individuals can make the best decision for themselves. Um, obviously, I don't want to mandate that all teachers carry guns in schools. That's ridiculous. But look, if a teacher is a good law-abiding person and they want to go through the proper training, whatever training is deemed necessary by that district, um, for them to feel comfortable with that, that teacher carrying, you know, I don't see why they can't carry. If it's their decision, they've gone through the proper training, They've passed the background check. They've worked with law enforcement. Law enforcement works with teachers, you know, and they, they've had the proper training. Why not? Why not give them the ability to protect themselves and the students that they love and care about? It's like, and, and I think the, 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 the qualifier there is every person that is choosing to be a responsible, trained gun owner and and I'm, I'm imagining that a lot of teachers want nothing to do with a gun sure um, and that that's their right, right. They, that's <laughs> nobody a, wants to mandate you must carry a gun no yeah, you, you really don't want anybody that 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 is freaked out by guns I mean even even though you weren't raised to shoot gun and you're around muskets you you did grow up in a culture where guns were not considered a weird and abnormal thing right and I think part of this is cultural right if you if you grew up with with parents that that owned guns responsibly and and maybe they taught you how to handle a gun, it's no big thing. It's, right. It's a normal thing. Sure. Whereas if you grew up in a city where where guns are banned and and um, your parents didn't know anything about them, it's it's a it's it can a, be scary. It's a scary thing. Sure. So we we got to somehow sort of um, sort through this so that 
um, people that are responsible have that ability because that gets back to sort of the incentive for bad people to act or not act. Um, because, you know, we're, we're not only talking about psychopaths, we're talking about people that are, that are you know, kind of cowardly in a lot of ways. Yes. Not. So that, that's, that's one thing that I, I feel like we struggle to, to sort of communicate um, what we mean by responsible gun ownership. But I remember, like, so when I worked on Capitol Hill, long before Thomas Massey was there, um, my boss was, was facing um, a vote on the assault weapons ban in 1993. 1993, I think it was. And, and I learned the hard way because I had all of these philosophical arguments about, about the Second Amendment and, and why, in fact, it was there and it wasn't, it wasn't for hunting and it wasn't even for self-defense. It was for defense against um, a tyrannical, tyrannical government. government, which, by the way, I think is, is a totally unpersuasive argument unless you happen to be paying attention to what's happening in Hong Kong right now. Right. Uh, Chinese government has all the guns and, and they, are, they are killing students in the streets. Um, but I made all those arguments, and and I could almost see my boss's eyes roll in the back of his head. He's like, I, I don't even understand or care about what you're saying. Right. So I got frustrated, and I said, okay, let's go shoot, let's go shoot some guns, which I don't think he'd ever done before. And we shot uh, uh, rifles that were to be banned and rifles that were not to be banned. Mm-hmm. And I remember vividly him asking the, and we went to the FBI to do this, and, and he asked the guys, "What's the difference between that one and that one? We're banning that one. We're not banning that one." Mm-hmm. And he said, and I don't think he was trying to be a smartass. He's like, "Well, that one's painted black, and it looks really scary." And and that resonated with my boss, but it was it was almost a tactile thing. He had to he had to hold it and see it and to understand what right. it was. I don't know how we connect with people who would would always be like too afraid to even go to the range to go to the range and and, and learn a little bit right yeah, it's it's kind of hard to explain to people that never shoot a gun that guess what the inner mechanisms of these guns this one you call an assault weapon and this one's a hunting rifle that your grandpa and everybody else used they're the same they just look different on the outside this one is black and scary looking, and they've made it look kind of cool and tactical, but the functionality is the same. Yeah. Have you ever um, considered um, gun training for women as a project? Have I ever considered being a firearms trainer myself? Or or just advocating for, for women that have thought about this but are just kind of intimidated Oh, they've sure. never shot a gun before. Sure. I also uh, work with a, a group of ladies from across the nation. We're called the D.C. Project. It's um, 50 women, one from each state around the nation. And we come to D.C. once a year and speak with Congress about the importance of our Second Amendment. And a lot of those ladies are um, qualified, tra- you know, firearms trainers. And I've seen that a lot of women like the idea of being trained by other women because some of them you know sometimes it can be intimidating learning from from guys especially guys that are ex-military or you know they're out there out there on the range trying to train you and it can be a little intimidating for some of the ladies so Mm -hmm. yeah they like to learn from other females it just makes it easier and they feel more comfortable 
So yeah, I absolutely support women training other women. So that's that's the homework assignment from from this show is that uh, men and women who who have who have thought about personal defense and and talking about thought about taking that step they should they should explore that if it's something that they're comfortable doing um, because I, I think we all have a responsibility to and and if you're not interested or not capable I definitely don't want you doing that but if you are now's now's like the time yeah. So, but before they do that, they need to buy a copy of your new book. Where do, where do we get a copy of Stocked and Defenseless if we want to read your story? Um, it's available on Amazon and also Barnes & Noble online. And you can check out my website. It's stockedanddefenseless.com. Okay. And if we want to check out research um, produced by the Center Crime Prevention Research Center. I butchered it again. You can go to crimeresearch.org for all the information and facts you need. Okay. I'll tell Thomas Massey that, that you're okay. All right. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Your ratings will help us reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.